This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Bruce, come on, let's get out of here. Well, I suspected that we might meet Batman. You got into Wayne's computers during his partnership with LexCorp. Yes. You saw that his company could build you a rocket, so you took control of Bruce Wayne and had him authorize the project. You're every bit the detective that your followers on the internet believe. I also know how you work. Collect a planet's knowledge, then destroy it. I can't allow you to leave. What you allow does not concern me. While your deductive skills are impressive, you are still only human. Hey everybody, this is BatFans. Yes, we're still here. My name is Dane, and as always, I have Tim with me. Tim, how's it going? Hello, hello. What's up, Dane? And we are on episode 176, by the way. Forgot the most important part, Dane. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, episode 176. We've done 175, Tim, of these things. I know. We're just, you know, a quarter away from 200 episodes. Yeah. Which is only seems like yesterday we were getting ready for a big 100 episode now we're already close to 200 crazy how many, how many baseball seasons is that five <laughs> six six baseball seasons well seven. it depends on how you look at it because we started this in 2012 so seven okay. seasons there but if we're just going by episode numbers then we barely just finished one baseball season <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you're right um hopefully we're in the playoffs at this point yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah technically the playoffs probably just finished oh right yeah right right hopefully Hmm. we won those 11 games or 12 if you were a wild card team (laughs) to get that world championship yeah well speaking of baseball tim how how are the yankees doing okay not great they're they have 12, 11, 11 or 12 players on the injured list now, as it's called this year, not the disabled list, but 11 players on there, which eh, kind of affects their start <laughs> where they haven't got off to the best start. They're three and four right now. Three or four, three or five. Yes, three and four. So it's not horrible, but should have been off to a much better start, especially they're playing some yeah. of the worst teams in the league <laughs> and <laughs> they haven't taken advantage of that, but. You know, the best part is the Red Sox are off to an awful start. They're like two and seven right now. Just their pitching's getting clobbered. So they're not off to their hot start like they were last year. And so the Yankees aren't falling behind. But they could be playing better. Yeah. And uh, thanks to the A's for that. Yes, they helped right. beat Boston <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> What's their record right now? They're, I know they're good I, I, I have not been following baseball at all. I've just been way too busy. Let me check really quick. Yeah, let me check really quick. But it's not Um, because of a lack of interest in the A's anymore, right? No, no. It's just I've been way too busy. Six and five. I've just been way too busy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Houston is three and five. So 
a lot of the big teams that are supposed to be like the heavy hitters in the league aren't off to great starts. Right. Right. Um, see, the Yankees are in third place. Same thing with the A's. The A's are in third place. Well, Mariners are uh, eight and two. I know. They're off to the, one of the hotter starts. Yeah. And they're projected to be one of the worst teams. But... <laughs> Twins, five and two. That's good. The yeah. Rays. <laughs> the Rays, they're, they're in first place in the division. I know that, but. They're a team that should were protected to be good, but they might be better than what people were expecting. Yeah. Uh, another question for you, Tim. Um, what happened to Sonny Gray? Oh, he's on the Cincinnati Reds, and I, uh, from what I've seen, picking up right where he left off with the Yankees. <laughs> oh, just not having it as the starter. Nope. Um, they extended not... his contract too. Oh, really? That was part of the deal to get that trade done. Well. Who else have do, do the rate the, the 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 Reds have? Sorry, uh, yeah, I'm not too familiar with their rotation. They're kind of got like middle road players, like yeah, like pitchers like Sonny Gray. You know, not in their prime, but not old either. So yeah, kind of middle of the road. They're off to an awful start, though. I think they're one yeah, and eight, one, one and seven. Oh, okay, well, little yeah. little better than what I gave them. <laughs> yeah, they're at the bottom of the NL Central. So. Maybe hey, we wouldn't be baseball fans if, you know, barely a week into the season and fans are already panicking about <laughs> their team struggles or you know, not so good starts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't understand it personally. Um, it's a long, really long season. I mean, there's like 180 games still left. So, <laughs> so I'm not sure that's... Uh, I'm not sure you, if, if, if you can judge your team quite yet. No. But that's how it goes. I mean, even if a team is off to a hot start, you'd be thinking, oh, this is great. We're going to make the playoffs. We're going to be in the yeah. World Series. <laughs> it goes both ways. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, that, that that's our baseball talk for this for this episode. Uh, but now we can move on to our Darknet Rises Minute by Minute commentary. We're going from minute 124 to 125 or the two hour and four mark to the two hour and fifth mark, Tim. Um, so just grab your HD DVD, grab your Blu-ray, yeah, Blu-ray, because that's going on style pretty soon, right? Pretty soon. More 4Ks are getting in homes, I know that. <laughs> um, grab your VHS copy, your Beta, your Laserdisc, your... Did I get everything, Tim? I think you got to move on to the subscription-based oh, <laughs> stuff. Oh, I see. Okay, so uh, definitely grab your Netflix physical physical subscription, your Blockbuster card, your um, GameFly uh, <laughs> subscription, because I think they used to rent movies too. Um, and grab your, and our favorite, your VHS DVD converted copy of Darknet Rises and just cue it to the two hour and four minute mark and I'm gonna give a countdown. So Tim, are you ready? I am ready. Alright, three, two, one, hit play. I actually had my volume up right there, which I normally have for the Dark Knight Rises. So I don't know if you heard Selena Kyle there, but she just said to round up Lucius, Bruce, and Miranda. And it quickly takes out the guards. You would you would think Miranda would sort of like on the slide do some stuff, you know, to prevent this. Has to keep appearances. 
Yeah, I guess so. But I'm glad we got to go back to yeah, the, the bunker of a dark night. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's all cleared out. I mean, out. <laughs> but still has those secret compartments <laughs> with all those gadgets and gear. What What would you use this for besides this? I know. <laughs> that bunker, I mean, like an underground warehouse. Uh, it's always cool to see the bat suit, no matter yeah. what room it's in, just <laughs> in its compartment, ready to be used. And yeah, we're yeah, we're not going to see Batman. <laughs> Wait, we saw the suit. <laughs> we haven't seen it in a long time. <laughs> so we're getting, we're getting closer. To... Yes. Um, but. Why don't you tell everybody about our featured topic of this episode, Tim? Yeah, so our featured topic is going to be very similar to last week's super or <laughs> super topic. It can be considered a super topic, I guess. But our featured topic is going to be a Shazam spoiler review this time. Yes, as Shazam is finally in theaters, it's open this weekend as we're recording this episode. I gave my non-spoiler review of it on our last episode where I got to those early Saturday screenings, which was cool. So... Um, you already know my general impressions of it, but there's a few spoiler points I want to talk about because I didn't really get into it much on my non-spoiler review, so that should be fun. But first, Dane, I know you saw the movie, so I'm very anxious to hear your just general reaction of the film and what you thought of it first. Right, so uh, I'm going to go back a little bit and talk about a different movie. I'm going to okay. talk about Aquaman. Yeah, so you're really getting I... caught up on the DC movies, which is right. cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so Aquaman, I, I finally saw Aquaman and, um, I, I really liked it. It was entertaining. Uh, but what you could tell was it wasn't written very well. Right. Um, there, there's, you know, that big action scene at the end with the, the, the warring under underwater armies or whatever. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's hugely entertaining. Jason Momoa is great in it. I didn't expect that. Um, I thought <laughs> I it definitely would definitely could be, tell with the lead up. <laughs> yeah, I I thought it would just be him broing around and woohooing and you know that sort of thing. But um, I actually really liked his performance in it. Um, again, the action scenes were incredible. Yeah. And and they really pulled off the the underwater stuff, whereas in Justice League they really didn't do that. Um, it just looked weird. Um, I didn't expect to like the the dialogue underneath the water with that sort of um, what do you call it, Tim? Uh, effect on the voice. Uh, um, but it's almost to a point where I really don't even notice it when I'm watching it. Yeah, yeah, it becomes it. it like at at first, you you realize they're oh they're adding like a a weird filter on their voice, but then after a while, it just you know, you just forget about it. Same thing with the CGI. It's a also um, the CGI did not look very good when I first started watching the movie. I was like, oh, that looks terrible. I mean, especially especially the. Um, it, it it looks like they CGI the the actor's body. Um, underwater to make it look like they're swimming around and they're acting they're, they're acting natural underneath the water. It looked like they just CGI'd that, especially with uh, Willem Dafoe. Like it looked really bad on him. Uh, but you, you just forget about it, and um, you know you, you just go with it because the the movie is just giantly entertaining. Um, but 
it's not written very well. You could really tell that. Uh, I mean, especially like how they try to cram in like all of the um, sort of different armies underwater, Atlantis, and like the fishermen people or, or whatever they're called. Um, you, you can just tell that you know it it wasn't written written very well. Um, great to see Tim Morrison, by the way. Yes, <laughs> I, I have to say. Um, but this it was time, this time in a successful DC movie, unlike his <laughs> turn as Abin Sur in Green Lantern. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it just wasn't written very well. Uh, giantly entertaining, not written, written very well, right? I, I think is the the base review I can give of it. Um, well, it's definitely, you know, more of a positive reaction I was expecting for you to have it. I was hoping yeah. you'd be entertained by it. I know like, you probably, like you said, wasn't written to the style that you like or written very well for how you think it should have been but i at least hope you'll be entertained and i'm glad that you were (laughs) yeah i mean a couple things i was like i mean especially uh mara's car it's like (laughs) why do they need cars under the under under the water i mean can't they swim really fast right not probably not everyone oh right right because only some people can breathe yeah um, maybe like the high like the royal blood and like highborn yeah right right um but yeah um going into shazam i was expecting much uh, a a lot of the same just like just an entertaining funny movie not written very well um because i mean it's it's shazam i mean who cares about shazam i mean who (laughs) knew about shazam i think a lot of people do Yeah, maybe us in the in the comic book world, but like, I'm I'm just thinking about my dad, right? Okay, <laughs> my dad wouldn't really know who Shazam was. I mean, like, why or how would he know that? Um, so I just kind of had that same expectation going into seeing this. Um, just didn't really have any, you know expectation that this movie was going to be anything more than just you know a couple of cool fight scenes some laughs and then the movie was over right mm-hmm. but i was really really surprised that <laughs> it, it, it was way way more than i expected it was <laughs> nice. um it was funny there was a lot of heart in it you could yeah. really tell that there was a lot of heart um Again, written very well, um, especially for a character that I don't care about. Um, I mean, I'm sorry for all the Shazam people out there, but Shazam isn't really a guy that, you know, really I'm a fan of. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I guess my bottom line was I was pleasantly surprised that I love this movie so much. I, I, I could kind of tell from the from that trailer that they released, the first trailer that they released, um, that this was going to be a good movie, but I didn't expect it. I, I didn't expect it to be this good. Um, especially like, I, I really did not think the villain was going to be that good. Um, uh, Thaddeus, right? Yeah. Or Dr. Yeah. Savannah. As Dr. Savannah, right. Yeah. I did not, ex- I, I thought he was just gonna be a one note, forget about him sort of guy, but then you kind of get into his Me back. Too, yeah. yeah. And, you know, he becomes more than that, and I, I, I just expected him to be just a throwaway villain that, um, 
you don't really care about, you know. Mm. But uh, I mean, I was even shocked. Again, I said it at the beginning, but just in case, <laughs> again, throwing it out there, this is a spoiler discussion, so I'll be going into certain details and about the movie at any point. So <laughs> if you haven't seen it, just be aware of that. But I was actually surprised that the movie started with his character as a little kid and right. showing what you know what happened to him and being chosen to go to the rock of eternity and being tested to get the powers of shazam i wasn't expecting that at all i was expecting maybe a little like to start with the rock of eternity maybe the history of the shazam lore and the wizards and all that but to actually focus on the villain at the beginning that took me by surprise but it worked really well for you know setting up the backstory and to creating more of a sympathetic villain for dr savannah yeah and i didn't expect to like um sort of like the, the the chemistry between billy and his um his friend uh oh my uh freddie freddie yeah. sorry yeah i didn't expect to like that but yeah, they, was, they, that was they, pretty they, much the highlight of the movie for me is whatever they right, were on screen right. together yeah so i i guess bottom line what i'll say before we get into all the spoilers and stuff is that i really really love this movie i I liked it. D- DC seems to be on the right path with yep. um, what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. It's great to finally see a one-two punch. <laughs> what two good movies doing, have, having some success too with Aquaman and Shazam. So yeah, really glad you liked it, Dane. I had a feeling you would after I saw it. I you know I texted you afterwards. I had, saying I really enjoyed it. I think you will too. So glad it even exceeded your expectations because it did for me as well. Right. Kind of right. going into it thinking. Of what you're going to see and it had all that but even more which made it just a really great movie so yeah there's actually four specific spoiler points that i wanted to touch on for myself i don't know if you had any other dane but the first one i wanted to bring up is the seven deadly sins being in the movie now this was something going into it i thought okay once we see billy batson go into the rock of eternity because it's a mainstay of the Rock of Eternity is those statues of the seven deadly sins. I thought we'd see those and be, okay, a cool little Easter egg. Maybe the wizard will give a little explanation to them and set up for some potential sequels with the being down the line. But it was a pleasant surprise to me that they were a main focal point of, you know, as part of the antagonist of the film and actually seeing them in the flesh in this movie that was a nice surprise to me and i loved how they were used and this is something i've been seeing going around from other people's reviews and reactions for it how that sequence with dr zavana going into his father's office in that boardroom meeting and he lets out all the seven deadly sins and they just wreak havoc in there and just take out everyone how it's being described as like having that horror vibe to it even though this is a lighthearted comic book movie aimed for you know younger audiences as well but they're kind of surprised it seemed like this made it but it, it works for it's not totally you know gory or anything or something no one can't see but it might leave an impression on a young uh, audience member being maybe scared a little bit of seeing those monsters just take out everybody and you're seeing different people just screeching and clawing at the, at the screen <laughs> trying to get out but well, no success the the director is a horror director. Yeah, that's right. right? Sometimes I keep forgetting that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, I I guess he can do that adult horror, and then he can you know make it kid friendly too. <laughs> mm, yeah, but still have that same effect. Yeah. So, so, uh, same thing with the um, 
I don't know if you got this same sort of impression, but um, the uh, I forget their name in Aquaman. Um, oh, the trench. Uh, yeah, the trench. The the, the trench lobsters. <laughs> yeah, trench lobsters. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, same thing with that especially when they're on that boat you know Mm. yeah yeah it's crazy how you know the two more successful dc movies are directed by horror (laughs) directors (laughs) but hey it's working and they bring that element into certain sequences and it works really well yeah but but it just made me excited once i saw that the seven deadly sins would play a factor into the main story and then i once i saw that you know we'd actually physically see them okay it's probably gonna make for a cool you know, final battle between Shazam and the Seven Deadly Sins, which I can't wait to see. But I'll get to that aspect in a little bit. But <laughs> that was one of the nice surprises I got going into it. I was really glad they decided to, you know, not only have Doctor Zavanna be the main villain, but have include the Seven Deadly Sins for Shazam's first movie because they're just such a big part of his lore. So that was a nice surprise to see, and I really like what they did with them. And now for. My second other spoiler point I wanted to go into, and this is revolving the story of Billy Batson and how, you know, the story that, because in regards to his parents, I was not too familiar what the status quo was for them in the comics. Um, like I said early on in my non-spoiler review and just in our very early episodes talking about those early Justice League stories and those no, that new origin Jeff Johns created for Billy Batson, I don't remember that they went into you know, what happened to his parents at all and why he is an orphan. So going into the movie, I was curious to see if they would even acknowledge that at all or just, you know, say he's going to go, he's an orphan and he's going from foster home to foster home. But once we got that flashback sequence of showing how he got separated from his mother and that's how he lost or became an orphan. But I, when I saw that, I was going, hmm, I wonder where they're going to go with this because we see him get, rescued by a police officer and he knows he's he's with the, the police and we think okay his mother they should stay there till his mother comes and you know he'll be able to be reunited with her and i was thinking what's going to be the reason that you know he never gets reunited with his mother how are they going to go about resolving this because the whole course of the movie he's going he's going around looking for his mother so i was wondering how they're going to resolve that and once we got to the point of the movie where the, his the foster family the kids there were able to track down billy's mother i thought okay let's see how this is gonna go first i thought they're gonna he's gonna find out she's dead and you know that's it and he even thinks that too but once they say no she's alive and we have her address this, this is where she lives go go and see her billy runs off i was thinking okay this is how it's gonna play out he's gonna see his mom they're gonna be happy um she's gonna, gonna like hug and embrace and you know start you know their new lives together as a family kind of catch up and then that will encourage billy to be the hero as shazam and needs to do the right thing now that he got uh he found his mother he's happy it's gonna put him on the right path to be a hero but i absolutely loved what they did where it wasn't the happy ending that billy was expecting once he finds his mom and she doesn't have the reaction he was hoping for and even when he's about to hug her she backs off and doesn't hug him and you're thinking, oh man, okay, this isn't you know what I thought they were going to go with. And then she reveals how she it was her decision not to go after him and pretty much give him up um, to the police and have him go to a foster home because she felt, you know, she was a teenage mother, felt uh, he could have a better life without her. 
So just hitting on some themes that I wasn't expecting to go, but I'm really glad they went with because they just didn't follow kind of a trope I was expecting them to. And it just really adds to that, you know, theme of finding your family who might not be, you know, blood related. And that just in, helps with the story more of Billy getting closer and becoming friends with his foster family, his foster parents, foster brother and sisters, and just added more to that relationship that I thought worked really, really well in the film. So that was something, the whole thing they decided to do with Billy's mom and how it wasn't the happy reunion, I thought was great and something different, but just added more to the character development of Billy Batson. So I loved all that stuff. Yeah, that was probably the, my biggest takeaway from Shazam. Like, I didn't expect that. And I was like, wow, uh, that's terrible, but great at the same time because he, yeah. <laughs> you know, he... He also has, like you said, his foster brothers and sisters. Um, you know how in the beginning he was—he kind of wasn't getting along with them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, looking back, you could—you you could definitely tell. Oh, this is where they're leading to. Um, you know, he doesn't really like his foster brothers and sisters, his foster parents, and then, you know, his. He, he wants to find his mom, and then he finds his mom, and then she's really standoffish, and then he realizes at the end that, you know, he has this family. It's just one of those things, like I said, at the beginning, my biggest takeaway is I didn't expect this, you know, so. Yeah, because yeah. I was thinking, you know, he'd be reunited with his mother, they'd be happy, they'd be watching, like, sitting in her apartment watching TV on the news or something. Then he sees that, you know, Freddie would be in danger or his foster family would be in danger. And now that he's like found his real family with his mom, he that like I was talking about earlier, that would set him on the right path to do what he needed to do as a hero because he got what he wanted. And he'll, even though he found his real parents or his, his real family and everything's good, he still feels he should help his foster family too. But that, like I said, that would have been a cliche that or trope that, you easily could see coming. So the way that they did it here, I thought was so much better, much appreciated that it was something unexpected. So hats off to all you know, the writers and directors who came up with that plot point and just a great moment for Billy as a character and his arc that he goes on. And then the next thing, probably the biggest uh, surprise, and in my theater anyway, the big crowd cheering moment was in the final act where as I was talking about, I was just expecting Billy to go or Shazam to go up against Dr. Zavanna and the Seven Deadly Sins. But we got the entire Shazam family involved. And I knew they would be involved with this franchise at some point. I just wasn't sure if it was going to be this movie or the eventual sequel that we were going to get where they would be introduced. And having coming from reading Jeff Johns' new a 52 origin story he created for Shazam. They were involved with that story. And that's what happened near the end when they were taking on Black Adam. They all transform into, you know, their counterparts with the Council of Wizards using the the staff and the power of Shazam. So that that has precedent. I just didn't know if I was going to see it in this movie. And they did it in this one. And I thought it worked really well. It was such a different and unique third final act in a battle for a superhero movie that we haven't gotten in a, a long time or maybe ever because just seeing, you know, these kids throughout the film, first you're just having a blast with Billy, you know, having fun with his powers and learning to become a hero, but having his foster brothers and sisters be involved in that final battle and then taking on the powers themselves. was just a lot of fun and just 
cool to see the Shazam family on screen when I wasn't sure we were going to get get to see that in this movie. And like I said, I got a big cheer <laughs> in the theater when that happened. And it's something where I'm not sure if this, my theater was full of hardcore Shazam fans who, who were looking forward to seeing the Shazam family. But I kind of think it's more of the fact that it was just such a great moment. Everyone in the theater was invested with these characters and loved seeing you know these good-natured kids uh, become heroes and kind of fulfill their dreams for certain for certain one of them. So it was just great to see. And it got a big cheer and just, it made for a fun final act. They just, them coming to terms with their new abilities and using them to fight the seven deadly sins, save some civilians out the fair. It was just fun. And then what probably my favorite sequence out of that whole final act with the Shazam family um, was one of the little, I'm not uh, blanking on some of their names right now. So forgive me. I don't remember all of them, but it was the kind of like the nerdy gamer kid. Uh, when he, his character, when he's fighting the, the seven deadly sins, and he shoots out a lightning bolt and just goes Hadouken <laughs> from Street Fighter. <laughs> that had me oh, I, I, is it uh, Eugene? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Right, right. <laughs> so just stuff like that. It was just a lot of fun to see. It made for one of the more memorable final acts in a comic book movie that we got in a long, a long time. So I loved seeing that. Yeah, did didn't really expect that. Um, I, uh, again, I don't know much about Shazam, so this is a thing in the comics where his brothers and sisters have superpowers mm, too. Yeah, mm. the one thing. So, so, so he shares it with them too. Yeah, what yeah. I noticed in the movie and what I don't remember from the comics is that you know Shazam has all these powers: flight, speed, electricity. But it seemed like for the different members of the Shazam family, they just had one aspect of those powers. I think uh, Freddie was the only one who had flight and Eugene had the electricity and then um, his little sister had the uh, what's had the speed. So each one, I think, had a specific aspect of his abilities. So it's kind of like it's split among them where Shazam has all of them in one. So they didn't really go into that in the movie. And I can't remember if they did in the comics, but that's what I got out of it. So it kind of makes me think that, you know, they have these abilities, but it's limited in some way where Shazam will be the main hero who has all these powers. That's what I took out of it anyway. Uh, I see. But yeah, it's still made for a really cool sequence, and I'm curious to see how they're going to go into that in the sequels, establishing you know, how often they're going to be able to use their powers. Because the one thing I am a little concerned about is that it takes away from the uniqueness and specialness of Shazam as his, as his character, if he's going to be sharing it with all these other characters already. But it worked well for this one, and I'm sure they'll figure out a way to make it work in a sequel too, especially if it kind of goes the way I'm talking about how they only have one aspect of his skill set. So we'll see, but man, it made for such a great moment <laughs> in this movie. I loved it. And then the last one I wanted to mention, which is kind of a big one, <laughs> the very last scene of the movie. We've heard rumors, we've heard rumblings, and even got a little tease of it throughout the course of the movie. But uh, first off, it ends on a really cool note because Freddy tries to get his schoolmates and certain bullies who are picking on him, letting them know that, hey, I know Shazam. We're good friends. I can get him to come to lunch here. He gives the date where he can come to join him for lunch at school. But uh, because of a little fallout they have, Billy never shows up. But at the end, uh, Billy makes good on that promise and shows up uh, to hang out with Freddy at, at the lunch period along with all their brothers and sisters. It was a great moment. But then Shazam says... Hey, I invited another friend of mine. Do you mind if he joins us? Then you hear the classic theme and you see the body of Superman <laughs> walking in with a tray of food 
about to sit down and have lunch with them. And then Freddie just turns around and just, I forget what he says, like an oh my God type of word, just, uh, just yells out a gasp and shock seeing Superman. And here's the thing. It was an awesome moment, but at the same time, a little frustrating for me. I'm not going to lie there. <laughs> I mean, just the idea of Superman being in this moment was so cool. Just hearing the iconic John Williams theme, seeing the Superman suit, and it is the one they use for Man of Steel and Justice League, so it is in the DCEU universe. Just seeing it, it was really cool, but at the same time, just makes me frustrated that this shared universe can't take off to the heights that the Marvel universe goes to, where they have no problem getting any cameo or appearance of a hero they want to use in a movie. But with this one, you, ha- you can't show Superman's head because they couldn't get Henry Cavill. It was like, <laughs> how much more cooler would this scene would it be if you actually saw Henry Cavill's face and he had a line of dialogue? I mean, it just would have been a really big crowd pleaser. I would have had a big, bigger smile on my face. I still had a big smile on my face when this moment happened, but it would have been made even better. It just shows... That, you know, that's the frustrating part where as cool as it is having a shared universe, it just can't quite be reach its potential when you kind of have to do little shortcuts like this where you can't show a character's face. So it's just a little bummer, but the tensions they had are great having Superman involved in this moment. So I loved it but at the same time. Just couldn't help you a little frustrated that they had to take a little shortcut here and not show his face because it wasn't Henry Cavill. Yeah, they they, they should have just... Tarkin him. <laughs> you know, no. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just well, like it was, CGI. This was a smaller budget made film, so <laughs> I'm sure that would have took a lot, would have shot the budget up <laughs> yeah. really high if they decided to do that, so I can see why they did it. It just makes me think they couldn't work out some quick little you know, there were scheduling conflicts, which I read is what led to Henry Cavill not being available. But it's like they couldn't work out one day, a few hours, just to get him <laughs> to film that one short little scene. So well, it couldn't doing, work out. But yeah, he's doing the the Witcher television show. Yeah, uh, I guess they didn't want him showing up with all that white wig, <laughs> like he did with the mustache from his time on Mission Impossible for Justice League. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, then his head would look weird yeah <laughs> they'd have to cgi out all that white hair <laughs> <laughs> but still it was an awesome sequence but i also too love the end credits that they had too where it's just like these school kid drawings of shazam having fun with the different members of the justice league <laughs> i love seeing that it just fit the humor with the film which is so fun to see so all in all it was just a really great time and i guess well, I didn't really touch on this in my non-spoiler review either, but the end credit scene, or the mid-credit scene, I should say, which we got a tease of a potential another villain we may be seeing in Shazam in the sequel. Yeah, who it, is that? Who and is, it I wasn't mean, Black Adam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, who... I'm unfamiliar with <laughs> with Shazam's villains or whatever. That, so That is Mr. Mind. <laughs> Mr. Mind, okay. I'm not too familiar with him either, but I did know who it was because I remember seeing the character in Brave and the Bold episodes, and I believe he was in some Justice League action episodes as well, but he was always played up to be you know, a comedic character. He's a, a genius mind in a worm's body. <laughs> so just a, a brilliant worm. And he had this a group called like the Monster Society of Evil, 
I think that's what they were trying to set up when he was talk to, talking with Dr. Zavana there while he was in prison. So it was, I'm not sure that's the direction they'll go in the sequel. I'm hoping more it's with Black Adam because I did like those little teas they had a Black Adam at the beginning when the wizard was talking about his history and what happened to the Council of Wizards and the first chosen one who, you know, abused his powers and took them down. So I'm glad we got a little a glimpse at Black Adam and I hope he is the one we get in the sequel because I'm after this movie I'm dying to see Shazam take on uh, The Rock as Black Adam it should be really cool but right now that Mr. Mind tease was it was fun but I wasn't expecting it but it made for an intriguing end credit scene to say the least but um, yeah so those are all the spoiler points I wanted to talk about for this for the Shazam film after you know my non-spoiler review because those are the other standouts to me that I was looking forward to talking about and stuff I really enjoyed about the movies so I don't know anything else you wanted to add Dane mm, maybe the post credit scene I thought that was great with yeah the whole Aquaman thing. <laughs> like you put him Aquaman <laughs> yeah even after his movie that's a big success is still getting picked on <laughs> right it was fun too I like how this seems to be the new norm for end credit scenes, at least when there's two, you get one kind of serious one that sets up another movie or a sequel. Then you get one that's just a lot of fun. is <laughs> just joking around, which is fun to have. But I also read later that they actually showed that in some TV spots, but me staying away from all TV spots <laughs> for the movie. Um, I didn't see it until I actually saw the end credit scene in the film, which was, you know, made for a nice fun surprise and kind of surprised that they would, put that in a tv spot though but it didn't affect me when i saw it so it was good all the way around yeah that's what why would you put put your postcard scene in your in your teaser i know it is strange maybe thinking hey if you see this in the commercial and you're wondering why you haven't seen it in the movie you might want to stick around till the (laughs) end of the credits so you could see this moment so maybe that's it right so when I gave my non-spoiler review, I gave it a four and a half out of five. What would you give it, Dane? Four and a half out of five. I, <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. It's definitely, yeah, four and a half. Cool, yeah. I'm anxious to see it again now that it is officially out everywhere. So hopefully I'll get a chance to soon because it is definitely one of the better comic book movies we've gotten in a long time. And I just hope it has all the success in the world. Yeah. All right, so I guess we can move on to our um, our news uh, part of the um, the show. Um, gonna save that first one, Tim, for our last. Okay. Yeah, because um, I, I think we need a little more time to talk about it. <laughs> I imagine you have some thoughts. <laughs> um, but we. Uh, speaking of that thing, <laughs> oddly <laughs> enough, we, we got our first look at the joke from the Gotham finale. Does not look good. It's <laughs> awful. Um, and by that, I mean, he looks, I, I, I like the look of him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're dead on about him looking awful because he's had an awful experience, <laughs> it seems like. But you know what? I think at least on the social media reaction, we might be kind of in the minority here because I dig his look too. It is a different style Joker. I mean, if you haven't seen it, he's pretty much, he's white makeup or it's white, you know, skin tone. <laughs> They're doing the chemical bath uh, for origin of the Joker. So it is the perma white quote unquote, <laughs> but his hair is pretty much all gone. There's just little strands of green hair over his bald head. 
and his face is scarred up like a Joker we've hardly never seen before, especially in live action. It's really scarred up. And it's different, but at the same time, it's still the Joker, and I I like it. <laughs> I mean, there's so many different versions and looks to the Joker, both in comics and animation and on screen now, that, you know, why not go this crazy, creepy route <laughs> with the Joker? And, you know, say what you want about how he looks and the origin story they created for the Joker in Gotham. I know I've had issues with it, but, you know, the actor playing him, uh, Cameron... Uh, I'm blanking on his last name. I want to say Monaghan, but I don't think that's it. Um, but he's done a fantastic job portraying this version of the Joker. And I've always said I wanted to see him as the actual Joker at some point. And we're going to get that at least in the last episode here on Gotham. And we got a little tease of it in this uh, teaser trailer that I put out where you see a battering stuck in his hand and it starts laughing. And to me, it feels like the Joker. Yes, he looks totally different in a more creepy version but it's it's working for me so and again it's just for the final episode of gotham that's known to do crazy different things and yes it could be frustrating that sometimes for some of the liberties to take with these characters but like for one episode i think this look for the joker is perfectly fine and i'm looking forward to seeing his portrayal as joker even though it's going to be for just one episode but i'm looking forward to it oh so so why don't people like it just the look of it yeah, just oh. too different. I think too, you know, you know. A lot of people say it doesn't look like the Joker, but when you see it, you still know it's the Joker. Just a different, creepier, crazier look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He so, looks like he's uh, he, he he looks old. <laughs> yeah, and he probably is going to be older because it's going to be so. They're going to do a time jump where Bruce is obviously Batman. He's older and not a teenager anymore. Yeah. So, and even in the teaser, it looks like they're going to do a little uh, Dark Knight adaption or Dark Knight Returns adaption, where he's in Arkham. You just see him like kind of, you know, comatose. <laughs> it's not all there, and you probably once he sees Batman on screen, he's going to realize that that is Bruce, and that would, you know, uh, make him well again to go out and kind of counter Bruce's Batman as the Joker. So they're probably going to do a little uh, adaption of the Dark Knight Returns there, and what gets the Joker involved again. So, but I'm curious to see how much he's going to be in it because I know they're supposed to highlight all the other villains who shown up in Gotham and have them be in their familiar uh, costumes and I guess status quo <laughs> as Batman villains. So it's going to be interesting. And yeah, the actor is Cameron Monaghan. So I oh. got his last name right. <laughs> I just wasn't sure. So, so are they getting a new uh, actor for Bruce? They're kind of going to do a double thing where they're going to have just a body double film the the bat suit but then i guess for close-up shots they're actually going to have the actor be like film film him with the cowl on so you could see him see him talk in the cape and cowl but i guess in certain shots it's going to be creative editing i think oh, where I you're going to see the body double and wide shots maybe him moving around fighting but then for close-ups it'll be uh the kid playing batman so which has got to be an awesome thrill for him i would imagine <laughs> I know. I don't know if that's gonna work, Tim. Yeah, I don't know either, but we'll see. <laughs> they also released that cool like teaser poster of Batman looking over this Gotham City. That looked cool. If anything, yeah. just seeing the suit and the silhouette of Batman is gonna be cool to see. So, yeah, say what you want about Gotham. I'm actually the season's actually been enjoyable, and I'm looking forward to seeing it wrap up and getting those Batman connections and just seeing what they do with these characters now that they're actually gonna go full on Batman. So. If nothing else, it should be definitely intriguing. 
What happened to um, Jada Pinkett Smith? Yeah, she, she got killed she off be... in season three. Oh, so she's not going to be in the finale then. Oh, well, it's Gotham. You never know. So she yeah. could have been resurrected for the second time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, our next piece of news is that Idris Elba, the office's Idris Elba, will not be playing <laughs> Deadshot in the Suicide Squad. No, yeah, this was came out just yesterday as we're recording this episode. Where Variety had the exclusive report that um, Deadshot is being written out of the movie. I think they kind of want to do it where they still want to use Will Smith if he comes available again for the character. So might as well just have Idris Elba play someone else and not you know step on the toes of Will Smith's character of Deadshot, which I think is a, a good idea. I mean, I was all for Idris Elba taking over the role. I think he'd do a good job, but if they can work it out where, you know, Will Smith could show up in another movie, if this one's successful, I mean, why not? And just have Idris Elba play someone else who's going to fill that dead shot role. And the question is just, who is he playing? Because that wasn't revealed in the Variety article. There's a lot of speculation about maybe Bronze Tiger, which I can see, or maybe it'll just be a new character created by James Gunn. I could see that happening as well. But what's interesting, there's been a lot of, debate i've seen on twitter about is this a sequel a reboot like what exactly is it it's one of the producers that's called it a reboot but several cast members from the first suicide squad has have come out and said they're going to be in the sequel uh viola davis viola davis i should say as amanda waller said she's coming back for this one um jai courtney he played captain boomerangs coming back he said and then i believe joel kinnaman said he's going to be back as rick flag i'm not sure if that's been confirmed that as um, Viola Davis, Jack Courtney, and Margot Robbie are. They're definitely confirmed. I'm not sure about Joe Kinnaman, though, but I did read something that's saying where he would be back. So it's not sounding like a full-blown reboot <laughs> that we were expecting. Maybe more just a sequel that doesn't really acknowledge much from the first one. <laughs> that's what I'm <laughs> expecting from it. So Which, Yeah, so so we're not going to be seeing Slipknot, right? <laughs> maybe his headless body <laughs> in the building still. I'm not sure. <laughs> we're not going to see El Diablo, right? Probably not. <laughs> but, yeah. What is um, what is Idris Elba's name in the Thor movies? Heimdall. Heimdall. Yes. And he 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 just makes that bridge thing. That's his yeah, activating the Bifrost, and he has an eye that can see anywhere, like, oh. out of all the realms. So he's like the eye of Asgard. Was he in um? The Avengers? He was in Age of Ultron, the second one. Just for a brief sequence when Thor is having that vision once Scarlet Witch messes with his mind. Oh. I could have swore he was in um, not Endgame, but... Uh, Infinity War. Infinity War. He was in yeah. the beginning. He gets killed in the beginning. Oh. So he's not making a comeback then? No, he's not. Because oh. he was one of the few characters who weren't killed by Thanos at Snap. He was actually physically killed by... Uh, Thanos. So I, I, we all know many of the, all the characters who got killed by the snap are coming back, but those who weren't, I think they're permanently dead. Yeah, but I don't know. I I, I just think they, that they could do more with that, right? So like, why don't they just bring back Idris Elba? <laughs> like, j- j- just say this was like a whole reset of the universe. You know what I mean? Hey, hey, they could go that route. You never yeah. know depending on how they decide to resolve you know bring everyone back maybe it does include everyone who was killed by thanos but for yeah, me personally I mean, i'm just going into it thinking they're only gonna be able to bring back those 
killed by this snap. And I hope not everyone comes back. I mean, I don't want to sound <laughs> like <laughs> someone who wants people to stay dead, but there's got to be some stakes here where there were consequences that some of these characters um, are coming back. And because if I don't know, I don't want to say it, maybe a little, it might cheapen a little bit some of the events of Infinity where everyone comes back, like Loki and Heimdall. Mm. Gamora, I think, might come back because I expect her to be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, so I expect her out of all yeah, those. Who yeah, but you see, that's that's the one that I hope that <laughs> she doesn't come back. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because that was just a big thing in Infinity War. I didn't expect it. Me, me neither. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, but then again, you know, I'm thinking about the Guardians movies and how much they rely on her in the Guardians movies. So I was like, oh, maybe they should bring her back, you know? So. Yeah. I'm not sure, but what I was thinking with this end game, uh, what they can do is like, you know how maybe like Robert Downey Jr. doesn't want to play Iron Man anymore. Okay. Maybe like they can reset the universe here and like they can just get a new actor. Say Mark Ruffalo doesn't want to play the Hulk anymore. Right. Mm. Okay. So we, we reset the universe back to Eric Bana. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Or Edward Norton. <laughs> Edward Norton. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty confident that's not going to happen. <laughs> I wouldn't want that to happen either. <laughs> I mean, they've been so successful. Why reboot it now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, plus two. Like, I was thinking every actor that's played the Hulk, including Mark Ruffalo, has had a really easy job, right? Because they're, <laughs> they're, they, they just have to do the, the Bruce Banner. Uh, well, Banner part. I know Mark Ruffalo. He has to do all like the motion capture for the Hulk. Yeah, so. sure, sure, whatever. I'm sure <laughs> there's that's just, uh, there's footage of it. Uh, oh, never mind. Maybe he only does some of it, Tim. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think it's as easy as you're saying, Dave. I don't know. I just I just think it's it, it could be the easy. It, it's kind of like being in a movie where your character is dying. You know, like you just have to lay in a bed, the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> right? And just give a really good performance of how sick you are. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, I was, I was just thinking, like, like Mark Ruffalo has the easiest job. <laughs> Same thing with um, uh, Vin Diesel. All he has to do... I, I really can't speak to know. Vin Diesel, because I haven't seen pretty much any of his movies. <laughs> no, no, like, uh, him, him as Groot. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you might be right about that. Maybe the MCU, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he technically only just had to do the recording once, right? Technically, but hey, he does all his lies because he has to have those different tonal inflections for whatever the emotion he tried to convey in a group. So he does them all, even though he's saying the same thing. Got to give him props for that. Yeah, but I, I kind of have this weird theory that, you know, he did he just did like the word group 5,000 different ways <laughs> one time. <laughs> They just pick and choose for whichever yeah, one they need. Whichever one they want. <laughs> that actually might seem like more hard work than just doing <laughs> the lines as they go. <laughs> um, but yeah, our, our, our next piece of news is that um, the DC Digital Comics Library uh, is going to be on the DC Universe app, Tim. Oh, so, here it is. Another episode, another time for me to <laughs> mention the DC Universe app and how it's not on gaming consoles, but... <laughs> This is great news, though. 
I was hoping because this was made at their panel at WonderCon last week. And I was hoping at that panel they would say, hey, it's coming to consoles on this date. And we didn't get that. But this is the next best thing. And you know how I've been saying I'm not going to get it until it comes on consoles. This might be it, Dane. This announcement right here is what might make me actually purchase it without really? it being on consoles. Because even before the DC Universe app was even a thought or announced, I've been waiting for DC to have a service like this for all their comics catalog to be made available digitally in a month as a monthly subscription because Marvel Unlimited has been doing that for years and it's really, really good. They just have a great collection. You just pay $9.99 a month and boom, any older title you want to use for the most part, or I should say you want to read, it's for the it's there. I haven't had one where I go, I want to check this story out, and it wasn't there. There might be the some exceptions there where it's not, but for the most part, it's gonna have everything you're looking for. And I've been waiting for DC to get on that ball, and they're finally, finally doing that with this. Cause they've been touting the DC Universe app to have a collection of comic stories, but it's curated. It had to fit what was available on the service. Like if there is a particular Batman movie or animated movie that it's based off a comic, they'll have that comic on there. But now it's going to be their full-blown connection. So, or did I say connection? Because I have a collection. <laughs> Can't talk about some of those. But yeah, it's going to, and they're going to keep adding more. So it's not going to have every single issue and story on there right away, but it's going to get pretty close and they're going to keep adding it every month. So yeah, it's really cool. The only thing that makes it not as good as Marvel is in regards to new comic issues is that for Marvel Unlimited, it's usually every it takes about six months for new issues to get added. And for DC, it's going to be a year. But that's not mainly what I read the Marvel ones for. I like going and reading back catalogs of certain stories. But eventually, once it comes to a point where an older issue or a newer issue that I haven't read is on there, um, it's not where I'm waiting for it. It just pops up when I'm thinking about it. I go, okay, it's there now. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll read it. I didn't get a chance to get it at my shop. Now I'll read it here. So I haven't had a point where it's go, I'm waiting six months for this issue to get on here. And it's such a long wait with all the stuff they have on there. Um, there's enough to keep you busy for <laughs> and read until new issues become available. So yeah, I've been waiting for DC to do this for a long time. And now that it's just part of the DC universe app, I probably might start subscribing to it <laughs> once it becomes available. It's going to be available at some time in April. So no official date yet, but it's been a long time coming and I just can't wait to finally have that collection of dc comics and stories available on one service for a monthly fee i think it's going to be great for any comic book fan to have and now that both the big companies have it i mean there's gonna be no excuse <laughs> to read certain stories if you know, you're able to work these subscriptions into your budget it's going to be such a nice service to have so i'm really excited about it uh, speaking of being excited tim um we finally got our first trailer for the joker movie Yes, we did. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm really do, curious do you, to hear your take on it, Dane. Yeah, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I had a feeling you would. I had yeah. a feeling this is right up Dane's alley. <laughs> well, I have grown to appreciate Joaquin Phoenix. That's mm -hmm. why um, I'll watch any movie he's in. Um, and yeah, it's exactly what I thought it was going to be like a, a mentally disturbed person. <laughs> putting themselves in makeup and committing crimes. It seems like uh, somebody that's deeply, deeply dis disturbed yep. is, you know, is the Joker, right? So, yeah, I, 
I, I love the direction they're going with. I, I really, really like the makeup. Um, I know we, we had that image, right? Mm-hmm. But now we get to see it, you know, properly lit and, you know, moving around the screen. And it, I love it. It seems like he's like a, an advertisement guy. Yeah, at least at one point. <laughs> sign twirler. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it looks like he becomes like a, like a stand-up. Yeah, because um, we and, see at one point, like just in the audience, as an audience member in a comedy club, yeah, and then we see him trying to write stand up. We see him writing his jokes out. So. Right, 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 and oh, it looks so good, Tim. Um, I I actually hope, and I don't think they're going to do this, but I actually hope that they go for an R rating for this. Um, I think this is the movie to do it. And it seems like the direction is going towards that. Um, and I, yeah, I, I hope they go for an R rating for this. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if they actually announce what the rating is going to be for it. I can't remember if they officially I said don't think so. R or PG-13. So yeah, it seems like it could have that R rating. You're right. Yeah, I mean, especially like the the way Joaquin Phoenix his you know is portraying the Joker. Um, as like this this weird I mean I mean there's like a couple of scenes where he has his shirt off and he's like sucking like in his stomach. Super skinny too. I wasn't yeah, expecting yeah. him to you know he looks disgusting. He looks yeah, it's gross. almost like Christian what yeah. Christian Bale did. What was the movie? The Machinist? Yeah, the Machinist, mm-hmm. right. Right. It looks you know, like something like that. And it looks like what I hoped, you know, was gonna be was like they're really going to get into like the psyche of the Joker. And it seems like that's the direction they're going with, you know, like this is a really disturbed person who, you know, just has the break. Right. And it seems like yeah. that that's the direction they're going with. But uh, what really impressed me was the, uh, was the, the, the Joker makeup in the way that Joaquin Phoenix looks in it and the way he's portraying it. So yeah, that, that that's my biggest takeaway from the, the trailer yeah i mean it doesn't feel like your typical comic book movie <laughs> that we're going to be getting with this i mean you're right it just seems like it's going to be a movie showing the mental and emotional breakdown of a guy who uh, takes its toll on him and he becomes the greatest villain ever <laughs> and i'm wondering is how much we're going to see of him as the joker and doing these full-blown cl- crimes that we're used to seeing the joker doing or we're just it's really going to focus on how he became the joker when it's more flashbacks and like maybe the very last act is him full-blown joker and um all that stuff it looks great like you said walking phoenix looks like he's going to have deliver a great performance doing something different with the character that we've probably never seen before we've gotten origin stories for the joker and we talked about this even when the movie was first announced about you know how the joker shouldn't have an origin he works better when his history is unknown but there have been stories where we've gotten his origin and it works like batman 89 batman mask of the phantasm and this is going to be something along those lines but just told very very differently because i don't think he's going to be seeing him as a mobster or even you know donning the red hood persona here it's just going to really focus on this i think ordinary guy where just life just takes its toll on him and he breaks down and it's right, going to be fascinating right. to see so yeah doesn't feel like i'm watching the joker 
that we know and love from Batman stories, but at the same time, that's the whole point of the movie and what has me so excited and intrigued about it. Yeah, there's going to be connections. We saw um, Arkham Hospital, as it's being referred to. Um, we saw Thomas Wayne, um, and I think it's that kid where he goes uh, through that fence and he uh, pulls up his uh, lips to make him smile on his yeah. mouth. I'm assuming that's Bruce, because we know Bruce is going to be a little kid in this movie. So yeah, you just got to expect him not to be your typical... Batman Joker dynamic. I mean, Batman's not even going to be in the picture here. And I don't think I'll, I'll be surprised if Joaquin Phoenix's Joker makes it <laughs> to the time Bruce becomes Batman. So I'm curious. That's the big thing I'm curious about. If they're going to go full blown Batman connection here, where it ends with in the future with a real older Joker taking on, or at least as acknowledging that there is a Batman out there. So we'll see, see but I don't I... think the movie even needs to yeah. go that way. Well, I, I had a kind of theory, and I'm not sure if like other people have come up with this theory, but I think that this isn't the Joker as we know him. This is just like prototype. Okay. And like somebody else is the Joker. So they're kind of going to go the Gotham route there. <laughs> oh, really? Is, the is, is, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, so an entire TV show <laughs> had this theory too. Yeah, it was like... There was a character, I mean, they, yeah, I won't go into it, but at first, yeah. once they introduced the character, Jerome, he was yeah. supposed to be the inspiration for the Joker later on. So, oh, I see. But then they created a whole other convoluted story with his twin <laughs> brother and all that. So he's now the real Joker, but that was the original idea. But yeah, um, just creepy, I'd say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way that no other superhero movie super villain movie yeah let's see this is really a movie deep. you can't call a superhero or super villain yeah. movie you just got to call it a comic book movie <laughs> yeah com- sorry comic book movie has it, it kind of reminds me of like uh, again going back to your comic book movie um sort of title um a history of violence which is a comic book movie mm-hmm. um it just has that same feel to it where it's it it's based on a comic book but it's so far away from it that yeah you, you really wouldn't make that connection um so yeah that that's i i can't wait for this movie to have <laughs> october 4th i can't wait so, for it where does it sit in your ranking of most anticipated movies this year um there isn't a Star Wars movie coming out, right, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, there is. <laughs> uh, okay, well, number two, then. Uh, hey, if it's your number one, I won't take offense to it, Dan. <laughs> no, 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 I'm serious. Um, really excited for episode nine. Uh, and probably the Joker, yeah. Oh, yeah, right now it probably sits... I'll go with four. Because, yeah, Star Wars and Avengers Endgame. And... I'm really excited about this Godzilla King of the Monsters movie. Really? <laughs> I think that looks incredible. I've heard they're showing like this extra footage and IMAX screenings of Shazam, and everyone who's seen it says it looks amazing, like jaw dropping good. <laughs> and I don't want to see any of that footage until the movie comes out in May, but I'm really excited for that. But after that, I'd probably go with Joker now after seeing this trailer. And is uh, Godzilla actually going to be in it? For, <laughs> yes. for, for the most part, <laughs> for the whole movie, I think. Okay, time. okay. I just wanted to make sure that we're not going to have like like Elizabeth Olsen and that other guy, yeah. <laughs> uh, sort of like running away from Godzilla. <laughs> I think they learned their lesson 
with this after the first one. Even with Kong Skull Island, since it's in the same universe, they learned their lesson where they show Kong early and often <laughs> in that movie. So, plus you got three more monsters to play with in this film. So, Godzilla better have a big appearance. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, sort of movies like that, like I I, I watch the uh, I forget the name of it. Uh, the Ben Affleck movie on Netflix. Okay. Yeah, I don't know the name of it either. I know what you're talking about. No, not Three Kings. That's a different movie. But uh, anyway, um, they they actually showed. I I mean, I guess part of the film was filmed here, and like, they they showed the freeway I take every day. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like 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 the team is going on it. I was like, oh, that's weird. I didn't expect that. Hey, speaking um, of locations that are in movies or TV shows. You see, yeah. When you were watching The Office, did you make it to that episode, I believe it was in season six, where Michael Scott gets lost around the town of Scranton and he's going to all these different restaurants and locations while like uh, Dwight and Aaron and uh, Holly look for him? No, I don't think so. Okay. If you get to that episode and you see Michael Scott at a hot dog like hamburger restaurant trying to he doesn't have his wallet trying to bargain to pay for it with his watch or ring or something yeah that restaurant was right across the street where i used to work at really <laughs> in burbank yeah and i remember they actually the producers everyone came into our office like you know getting clearance to film on the street and like have the crew set up in front of our building and all that stuff so so did you go outside no they kind of wouldn't allow certain workers did but they really didn't get to see much kind of look through the windows though to see a little filming oh but... oh it was only inside that they were filming they were filming no they were filming outside but oh when you went outside you really couldn't get a great view in it because they kind of had stuff blocked out and couldn't eat at that restaurant that day because i was like my go-to <laughs> spot because we're just so oh, really? close <laughs> what is what's the name of it called larry's hot dog larry's hot dog yeah oh. it's funny they do a shot where they show michael scott at that restaurant and then they show him looking across the street and the camera zooms to across the street, but it's a totally different building <laughs> like really? location. That's not because it would have shown the building where I used to work at, but it's probably somewhere that not even close. <laughs> Just yeah, like, the magic I, of editing. I've had that experience with, um, with lost. Okay. It's like, it, it's, it's kind of like they're at, um, it's supposed to be like at the airport, right? Like mm. there's a scene. I, I haven't seen much of lost, um, I've only seen like a couple of episodes, but th- there's a scene where they're supposed to be at an airport, like somewhere in Europe, right? Um, that's actually just like a convention center. That's a, that's like a a meeting area. Okay. And I was like, oh, that <laughs> sort of like really takes me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not how it should be. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so yeah. really excited for, for Joker. Um, yeah, and I think a lot of people are. We got um, one response from our Twitter post about the trailer from our favorite Twitter Twitter handle ever, Jim Bob Squarepants. Oh, Jim Bob. <laughs> yeah. At Hello. Vintage GT. He goes, I cannot wait. Bravo to WB for allowing this to happen. Apparently free from the shackles of continuity, previous movies, and huge glitzy production values. I absolutely love the look of this movie. And that seems to be the consensus I've seen. Uh, we, I still see a few of those going out like, why is this movie even being made? What's the point? You know, right. too many jokers, whatever. But 
it's going to be something totally different that it might even classify as like like we were talking about your typical comic book movie. So I think it's going to surprise a lot of people and probably be a sleeper hit because it's on a modest budget, probably even less than Shazam's. And with the Joker name recognition, Joaquin Phoenix, probably some buzz going around about it. I think it's going to do really well. So, yeah, just got to wait till October now. <laughs> we'll probably get another com- trailer at Comic-Con, I would imagine. But hopefully they don't go too much into you know showing more of the film because i think it's going to be this trailer perfectly captures the tone of what it's going to be and that's all they really kind of need to show so and more trailers have been doing that where they have a tone that they're sticking with and they don't show too much new footage and avengers endgame is doing a great job with that shazam i thought did a fantastic job because all the big moments we were talking about in our spoiler discussion weren't even hinted at in the trailers which was (laughs) i was much appreciated for so Hopefully this will become a new trend for movies where they kind of know what they want to show and just stick to that and not feel the pressure to show more that they need to to get uh, more people talking about it. So uh, that's hopefully that's the case with Joker also. Are you one of the people that have stopped watching anything Endgame related? Yeah, I'm done now. They actually oh. had one TV spot this week and their marketing has been so good for it. I thought okay, I'll watch this one. And it was good. It showed enough new footage that got me even more pumped. But at the same time, it's like, that's it. Don't need to see any more. But it's three <laughs> weeks away. I'm good. Right. Yeah, because I, I saw a couple people on Twitter posting pictures of themselves covering their eyes. I guess like during <laughs> okay. like Endgame, <laughs> the Endgame trailer or mm-hmm. teaser, I mean the TV spot. I just love how they're not showing any, pretty much any action from the movie. Like any of the big money shots you expect to see in trailers and TV spots, they're not getting any of that. Yeah. We see I, like character yeah. poses, which is probably from action sequences, but no action. And I love that. <laughs> and, and what was like the whole thing about like the, the suits or something? The, there, there's a picture of like Scarlett Johansson and mm. um, Robert Downey Jr. in like a special kind of suit or something. Yeah. Like, time travel that. suit. Like they're called the quantum suits, I believe is their official name. So there's a lot of speculation as far as what they're for, what they're going to be using them for. And time travel is one of them that has been speculated. There has been some set pictures that have kind of pointed in that direction. I won't say too much (laughs) about what they um, involve, but being called quantum suits, that has to deal with the quantum realm with, you know, is a big uh, plot point in Ant-Man and Ant-Man and the Watts. So I think, the Ant-Man world and that quantum realm is going to play a big factor into probably what they need to do to (laughs) bring everybody back and stop Thanos um, from the snap. So I think they're going to be going into that quantum realm with those suits and whether the quantum realm is their access to time travel or like other dimensions, who knows, but they're definitely going to be using the quantum realm, I think. And those, that's what those suits are needed for. Yeah. You see, so my theory could definitely work then. It's like, oh no, we we went back too far. It's the it's the uh, Eric Bana. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I think oh. that would fall into the other dimension category. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah, you see, it can work. It, it can work, Tim. It could. Yeah, you never say never. <laughs> <laughs> and like they 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 go so far back. It's the it's the old Captain America. Um, oh. guys <laughs> like the, Brian Salinger or something. The are you talking about the 1990 movie or the. 70s tv show where he wore that terrible motorcycle helmet <laughs> uh, the, the tv show yeah. with, <laughs> with the bad uh costume yeah well, oh man <laughs> but anyway, anyway yeah 
Oh, sorry. No, I was gonna go. They could do the whole TV, old seventies TV universe if they wanted. <laughs> they got Spider Man. You know, they got the you know, uh, Luferigno Hulk. They could do. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what? Really, I mean, I think I've said this on this podcast before, but uh, back in the nineties, I want to say early nineties, they had the Avengers TV show. Uh, the the animated TV show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It it just shows to it, it 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 just it just goes to show how much they didn't care about the Avengers back then. <laughs> it's it's like characters I've never even heard yeah, of. Yeah, it wasn't even like, the A list Avengers. <laughs> yeah, Iron Man was in it, but like people didn't really care about Iron Man back then. Yeah, he right. was just more of a look guy, you know. Mm. He looks cool. Um, but yeah, it's like a, it's, it was like a real big trip. It's it, it's it's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> if oh. you have Amazon Prime, <laughs> if you're looking for a really good Avengers animated series, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, that is fantastic. That's like their Justice League Unlimited for like the Marvel Universe. It's a great entry point into characters from the entire Marvel Universe. It's really well done, told stories. The animation's great, voice acting's great. They did some really cool stuff with that. So that kind of was a nice because um, I'm not totally inverse into the marvel universe like i am dc but when that series came on it kind of introduced me to a lot of other corners of the marvel universe i wasn't familiar with even though you know, i'm mostly familiar with spider-man x-men captain america side of things early on but that show kind of introduced other aspects of the marvel universe that we're now seeing be involved in the mcu and i have a better idea of you know <laughs> what they're about so. oh what's going on Mm, just thing. more familiarity with more familiarity with certain characters and their locations and their history and stuff like that. Oh, I see. So definitely a show worth checking out. Uh, speaking of time travel, um, I rewatched Back to the Future. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and um, you know, so, something struck me like in the beginning. You know, there's that there's that famous scene uh, where they test out the DeLorean for the first time, and the you know. Doc and Marty are standing right in front of it and it disappears or goes back in time yeah. right before it hit, hits them. And there's like that flame on the ground. Looks really cool. What would have happened if Doc was wrong about the time travel thing? <laughs> like they would have just got hit by that car, right? Yeah, I mean, Marty yeah. tried to get out of the way, but Doc pulled him back. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was one of those instances where he better be right or they're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Einstein would have been okay, though. So. Yeah. I guess he would. Uh, I don't know how you would get out of that car. But... Yeah. Well, that's true. Hopefully someone would... They're in a mall. Hopefully someone would find him and break right, a can, window and let him out. Can you imagine being the first responders responding to that? Like, yeah. Like, what happened? Uh, there's Why two dead bodies a... here. There's a dog trapped <laughs> in a DeLorean. <laughs> There's nuclear you know. <laughs> uh, movie yeah. still such a classic, but never gets oh, old. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, the time travel thing is totally like you can poke holes in it, but who cares? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and it, it it was really great to see um, uh, those giant video cameras. Oh yeah, that's what we're talking about our last episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, right, all right oh, there. That's right. <laughs> Speaking of stuff we've been watching, I might as well stay on that topic. I did sure. finish all three seasons of True Detective. Oh, just, you did? 
I finished season three last night. Yep. And I'm I'm wondering what what you thought about season three, especially after season two. Yeah, I loved season three. You're pretty much dead on (laughs) about your (laughs) description and preparing me for the next two seasons. I mean, season two had its moments. That shootout they had in LA was you know pretty epic, but way too many uh, characters, man. Let me ask you, uh, during season two, did you see any places that you recognized? Uh, a few, yeah. Really? <laughs> I don't go down to like downtown LA and Hollywood area too much, okay. but certain areas I kind of recognize. But, uh-huh. but yeah, that season as a whole is, like I said, way too many characters to really right. get invested in, and they all pretty much weren't likable. Yeah. <laughs> the only one I really liked was Rachel McAdams' character, but everyone else, like, uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard to root for. Too disconnected, then, too. Yeah. Like, the story, story wise. So. Yeah, like they would say all these names, like kind of like who's that? Like who, who, how, how does that fit with this character? Like a lot of stuff that wasn't memorable and just kind of had a, I want to say a hard time following, but you kind of had to yeah. take a step back and try to remember who were they talking about. In right. And then the ending was so unsatisfying. Yeah. <laughs> not only do most of the characters, like, well, spoiler alert here, <laughs> yeah. but not only do most of the characters die, but the bad guys, you're left with the bad guys winning. And they kind of hinted at, you know, the true story is going to get out, but we don't see the outcome of that. We kind of see the bad guys winning and, you know, enjoying their success of covering up this thing they were trying to do and killing the main characters. So not yeah. the best story. Characters weren't great. And the ending was very unsatisfying. If I remember correctly, um, it was something like they, they were dumping uh, waste in a, in a landfill. Or, or like a a place that they wanted to build a mall or something. Yeah, it was like a new, it was like a new, it might have been a new train station or like a trans transit system or something like that. Yeah, they were trying to build. Right, but, right, and 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 there was like waste there, and they were trying to like cover that up. And, was that, I don't remember the waste being a big focal point to the main. I thought story. it was. <laughs> Maybe uh, it was. I, like, I can't remember. One of those things that I just missed. Like I said, there's too many things going on, but. Did you uh, did you see um, Rick Springfield? <laughs> I don't the think I did. <laughs> the old man. That was Rick Springfield. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I didn't didn't even realize that. <laughs> but uh, season three, Tim, uh, uh, creepiest scene I've ever seen in a TV show. I think I know. I think you know what I'm talking about with uh, Scoot McNary in the pink room. Yeah. And that guy appearing behind him. Yeah, it's like. That's that episode ends right there at Fades to Black. They didn't yeah. show him get hit on the head or shot or anything, but yeah, he knew right. what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I guess Scoop McNary's done. <laughs> the poor guy dude, has no success in the things I've seen him in. <laughs> things didn't work out for him in Batman v Superman. <laughs> now this, but man, like that was the one guy you really fell for in season three. Just yeah. couldn't catch a break, and then you know, being at kind of at the end of the season almost being the prime suspect in the 1990 year and then him being killed when he found out the truth like oh, poor guy <laughs> he didn't yeah. deserve all this but it was a it was a great season intriguing mystery that you know couldn't wait to see how it develops great characters that was the thing missing from season two i really like how it just focused on the two tech detectives who are partners and that's where your main focus is at and both um you know um, I just want to say Marshall Marshall Ali. I know his first name is Marsha Hall Ali. <laughs> I'm butchering his first name, but Mahershala Mahershala Mar- Mahershala. Okay, thank you. Yeah. He was great, and then his partner. Um, I'm blanking on the actor's name again. <laughs> Stephen Dorff. 
Steven Dorff. There you go. Yeah. I know his character's name was Roland in the yeah. in the show, but both of them were great. They had good chemistry, but this everything that you loved about season one and was missing in season two was back in season three. That whole point of going time jumping a little bit and this time you had three settings. They did a great job as playing older men too. <laughs> I mean, the makeup was good. The acting right. was good when they were in their 70s. So yeah, just all around really well done. The ending and how everything got resolved, I didn't see it going that way. In it what was, way? In what way? As far uh, as as far as the daughter Julie kind of getting a happy ending, especially yeah. when they kind of tease where they were that she died and that was something that uh, the nuns just kind of did so she could enjoy her life and not have to worry about all the stuff that's happened. So and kind of where she got married to that kid, you just had one scene and didn't really think would show up later on. So all that, you know, it was nice to see at least someone from that family have a happy ending. I will say the one thing that was kind of made me think, oh, that's a little convenient. The way that uh, the character Wayne uh, found out that she got married was that he accidentally just dropped his wife's book on the floor and it happened to land on the page that talked about that kid, Michael, who she ended up marrying and having a daughter with, like out of all the pages, his name popped up on the one where he dropped <laughs> the book at. So that's what made him realize what happened to her. And then he went to go find her. And then it just sucks that when he went to their address, that's where he didn't remember. <laughs> yeah, his dementia kicked in. But it probably worked out for the best for Julie and her family. So all that right. stuff wouldn't get brought back up. So, but and another thing that, since it went in direction, like I said, I wasn't expecting to go that way and have it kind of be wrapped up that simply because they were teasing. I loved it how they were connecting it to season one where you actually, they actually have that newspaper clipping of Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson's characters and how they solved their case and how this might've been connected to that where it was like a pedophile ring. And this was, I thought that's where it was going to go and there'd be a more season one connection. So it just ended up being kind of a cool little nod to season one or an Easter egg there. But it was cool to see that, you know, that is connected where it is in the you know same universe, so to speak. But overall, yeah, it was just really good. So glad I decided to check it out <laughs> and just looking forward to whatever they do in season four. And hopefully it just keeps on this, you know, same formula. Just focus on two detectives. If they want to do, you know, the same time jump, I could. It works good. But at the same time, I don't know if that's something they want to keep doing or maybe that's just the theme of the show that that it is its hook where it does have these time jumps time jumps i'm all for it but at the same time if they don't want to do it i'm all for it too just you know have it be nice and concise <laughs> with this your main group of characters you got to focus on so well to, to to be fair season two did have a really 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 good trailer really <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't see the trailer but... yeah it was really good and i was super excited about it and then it just kind of went off the rails in the second episode <laughs> yeah pretty quickly <laughs> just right away you kind of felt eh, this is, ain't gonna be quite the same as season one yeah yeah but, but obviously it seemed like the creator learned from that and knew what worked and was so great about season one that he just went with that in season three but just you know made a totally different case with it so and it ended up being the right call too because it was really really good yeah well i mean the big thing was is or what people are saying was the the big difference was season one uh, the creator, uh, Nick Pizzolatto, mm-hmm. I think, uh, it, he had been writing that for a while. You know, he, he thought that that was going to be a book, but he turned it into okay. a TV show, right? So he'd been, he'd been writing it for a while. Season two was the 
next year or the following year. And he just didn't have that large of a time to write it. Whereas season three, he had like two or three years. Okay. So, yeah. And so it's I, kind of one of those things where season one's such a big hit. Let's get season two out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Right. Wow, that so, makes sense. So if um, True Detective does come back for season four, it's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah, okay. I forgot what the actual time gap was between season two and three, but I know it wasn't just a year. So I guess it was like two or three, I guess. So. Yeah, it was like two or three years, yeah. Season three just started this year in January, right? So yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll be waiting a while. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's as good as season three and one was. It'll be worth it. <laughs> um, but now we can move on to our comic book reviews. We, we, the, there's no conversation with Alex left listener feedback for this episode, um, so now we're just gonna move into our comic book reviews. And for this episode, we have a big one, Tim. Oh, it is ten dollar. The ten dollar. <laughs> comic uh hey, which is if i'm gonna pay ten dollars for any comic book it's got to be a big milestone like this <laughs> <laughs> that is detective comics number 1000 tim 1000 that just sounds weird saying that for a comic, yeah. <laughs> let alone yeah. when i've been collecting pretty much my entire life <laughs> <laughs> um and a rating scale is gonna be what should it be tim yes let's think um um, how many years it's going to take for the next season of True Detective? <laughs> right, right. Hey, it's on the theme of Detective Comics. So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The whole detective thing. I get it. I get it. So yeah, that's going to be a rating scale. The, the the amount of years it'll take for season four of um, True Detective. There you go. All right, so, man. Where to begin on this one? <laughs> <laughs> See, I actually kind of have it broken down by. My absolute favorites, my second tier favorites, the ones I didn't really like, and then just the final story that sets up what's to come in the future issues of Detective Comics. So, I don't know. Should we start with our least favorite story? Because I want to tackle all the stories in this issue. It is huge, but I kind of haven't broken down <laughs> those categories. So Yeah, I guess least favorite would, would uh, be good. Yeah. So... My least favorite one, and for the most part, I really enjoyed all these issues. There was just two of them that I felt were kind of forgettable and didn't leave much of an impression on me. And the first one of that is Heretic by Christopher Priest and Neil Adams, where um, oh, some, this issue, the artwork, I wasn't a huge fan of Neil Adams' works in this one. And just the story I felt was forgettable that had to deal with um, Bruce and Batman kind of going up with members of, of the League of Shadows, he goes up with um, Rach, meets Rachel Ghoul, and they just kind of call him out about one of their members, you know, Bruce, uh, Bruce Wayne corrupted, pretty much making him into a good person, and they're not having that, and they had that person killed. And just pretty much saying, you know, well, you know, they want revenge for what Batman did and kind of tainting uh, their group. So, you know, they're calling him, you know, a heretic because of that. So <laughs> there was just pretty forgettable forgettable i wasn't a huge fan of the art, the artwork and just one probably my least favorite of this issue but then my second one this one doesn't necessarily bad but just kind of forgettable when you mix it in with all the other cool stories we got here and this one is the batman's design by warren ellis and becky clunan but unlike the heretic one i did like the artwork becky clunan she does a great job and no the story was no exception but um, basically this one is just pretty much how 
Batman operates and works on taking down a group of criminals in this old abandoned warehouse where he leads them, purposely leads them there because he knows it's the best way to take them out. And we just show him using his environment to his advantage. It pretty much felt like an Arkham game <laughs> using, you know, explosives to take out these crates and injuring uh, these men from the shadows and doing some hand-to-hand combat. So artwork was cool. Um, kind of a, you know, something of a good premise, I guess, but I just didn't find it very interesting for issue 1000. But like I said, it wasn't really necessarily bad, but I just found it forgettable. So those were the two that were probably my least favorite. So not sure how many you had as far as your least favorite, Dane, but those are the ones that kind of I felt could have been left out or, you know, maybe used elsewhere or something. What if I said all of them? Oh, is it going to give us an issue of zero? <laughs> no, no. Um, uh, the Last Crime in Gotham. Uh, the Jeff mm. Johns one. Okay. I just didn't, couldn't get into it. There's like a birthday party or something. Um, the art wasn't very good. Uh, yeah, I will agree with you that there. Big spa- uh, splash page. Um, I mean, look at look at Bruce's chin. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, look at uh, doesn't uh, look very good. Um, probably uh, the one right after it, the the precedent. I think. Um, oh really? See that one's surprising. I really, really like yeah, that. Yeah, uh, James Tinian. I just couldn't get into that one. Um, and probably, I hate to say it because I I, I really like the story. Um, or it's kind of I don't know fifty fifty maybe. Uh, it's the Denny O'Neill one. Okay. Um, hold on, I'm just pulling it up now. Uh, Return to Crime Alley. Mm. I, I I just couldn't get into the the dialogue. It's it's like outdated. <laughs> uh, well, it like yeah, it kind of makes sense, you know. Denny O'Neill isn't a spring chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand that, um, but I, I I did like the message behind it, where he, you know, the, um, it's kind of like Batman has gotten a little too violent. Mm-hmm. Maybe he should pull back a little bit. You know. Yeah. So. I I can appreciate it for that, but other than that, uh, I I kind of didn't like the art, um, uh, and like I said, the dialogue wasn't very good, very fresh. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that, but yeah, this one's actually you know I'll talk about this one a little later when I get some some of my favorites. So. <laughs> oh, sorry, Tim. oh, you hurt me, Dan. <laughs> but so probably the ones on not my absolute favorite, but my next tier under that. Um, I got three of them right here. And the first one on there I'm going to talk about is I Know by Brian Michael Bendis and uh, art by Alex uh, Mayleve. This is the one where we see Penguin and Bruce Wayne as old men. (laughs) We just see they're like at this beach side. Uh, It looks like it's it's outside Wayne Manor. The building's in the background. I'm not sure. Um, We see Penguin just, you know, squawking up as he meets Bruce who's in a wheelchair, just telling him, you know, I know. I know this whole time that secretly Bruce Wayne was Batman and I kept it hidden for all these years because I knew, you know, if I, you lost by exposed your identity and you lost your humanity, so to speak, there'd be no stopping you. Batman would be this unstoppable force and, you know, that would be a bad thing for everybody. So I kept on the secret, but I'm letting you know now kind of thinking, you know, they're about to die. They're old men. He was going to go, you know, I wanted you to know and I win. <laughs> Look at this thing. I am actually smarter than you. And then Bruce has the last laugh as he has this little shock 
come out through his wheelchair and knocks out Penguin. And Bruce, you know, being one step ahead, just goes, I knew you knew Oswald. <laughs> and it's like the same way I knew you'd come here. It's like, it's just a nice visit to have with you. So it was just a fun little story of Bruce outsmarting the Penguin when he, Penguin thinks he had the upper hand knowing his secret all along. Then another one I thought was another fun read was The Legend of Newt Brody by Paul Dini and Dustin oh, Nguyen. Yeah. Right. It was just great seeing Paul Dini and Dustin Nguyen team up again for a story. After the great job they did on his uh, Streets of Gotham run from a while back. But it was just a story about this bumbling, you know, uh, crook, like this goon that almost everyone in Batman's rose gallery used for a job or a robbery. And he just messed it up every time. You heard stories from the Mad Hatter, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, the Riddler, just how he all always messed up their plan and Batman would stop stop them from their plan because of this bumbling idiot. <laughs> and uh, I just liked all these different accounts that were being told here, made for some fun moments. And then the kicker was like, keep thinking, how can this guy keep working with these different uh, Batman's rogues gallery? And some even claim that they killed them and they're surprised he's still alive. And then it turns out at the end that it's really just been different members of the Bat family taking on that identity of, <laughs> of Newt Brody and just exposing the criminal's weakness and ruining their plans at different moments. So it was just a fun little gag. And then it just ends with uh, Damien coming in saying, he, you can call me Newt Brody Jr. because he wants in on the fun that everyone else was having. So just a fun little lighthearted story that kind of an angle we don't get too much with uh, – the goons and henchmen of Batman's rogues gallery and how one of them can mess up their plans. So that was a fun little story. And then the last one in my second tier is one that I really liked called, but Dane, you didn't like <laughs> the last crime in Gotham by Jeff Johns. I do agree with you on the artwork it by Kelly Jones. Unfortunately, it's not my favorite style and it took me out of it a little bit. You're dead on about that splash page and just his character designs, not a huge fan of. And honestly, the premise of it, it really wouldn't work for me unless we got that final moment where, you know, it's pretty much Batman in the future and the current Bat family, which involves Catwoman and their daughter, um, Damien grown up, but still has Robin and a new, oh, it might not be a new ace to Bat Hound. It still could be the original ace just up there in years. Um, Gotham City's pretty much cleaned up and except for one villain who created this murder as in the guise of a happy birthday party and ho different holidays. Because they're thinking, oh, it might be Calendar Man or it might be Alberto uh, Falcone or Gilda Dent, remembering back to the long Halloween. But it ends up being someone known as the son of the Joker. And he's saying the Joker has died from the chemicals. He's dying, too. And he's like the last villain in Gotham. And he wanted to have this last party <laughs> to kind of celebrate that. Because once he's gone, Gotham City will be clean. And the Bat family members uh, realize that. And they actually say, you know, Gotham's safe. The streets are clean. We've all done enough. Batman says that to Gordon. It's time for, you know, the family to go home now. I like how it transitioned to you see the bat signal and Batman goes off in a puff of smoke. And then as this, the next page, the smoke goes into a candle being lit. And it's Bruce making a wish for his birthday cake that Alfred has for him in the bat game. He's all alone, but his wish is to have an eventual clean Gotham City without crime or villains. So I like the message that it was sending, sending where that's what Batman really hopes for so um maybe not told the best way with the art um but i like what jeff johns was going for here what batman's ultimate goal is for gotham city so i do like that aspect of it so yeah those are my mid-tier <laughs> favorite stories in detective comics 1000
Yes, my mid tier or some of your lowest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it um, seems like it. Um, definitely the uh, Warren Ellis one. Um, I just thought, I mean, it, it was great to see how he sort of sh- strategically planned how he's going to attack this warehouse and stuff. Um, but like you said, there's really nothing to the story. It's just a a level from the from the Arkham game. Sorry. Yeah. Um, Except you're reading it, not playing it, which yeah. isn't as fun. Um, another one is I know. Uh, I really liked how Bruce had the last laugh. I thought Terry was going to show up at the end. Mm. Uh, <laughs> that actually like, would oh, have been a cool thing. Yeah. Like oh we you know we got him or something you know just like a small yeah. line or something. But I liked how the the villain sort of like had their meeting and they were like okay so who's like the richest guy in in gotham or whatever (laughs) and like they they finally get down to bruce and it's like oh so it must be bruce um uh another one was probably batman medieval i i just really like like the um the 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 art in it i just thought the art was really great um i don't know who did that one um uh, doug mankey oh doug, doug mankey yeah, yeah i'm pronouncing his last name right <laughs> i never know yeah, if i am like, especially the the final shot with his um with his uh mech suit or whatever it's called uh, i really like that um and yeah that's that's pretty much it yeah Okay. Yeah. So our mid tier and <laughs> your mid tier was the exact opposite of my least favorite. So. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I have top my top five. So uh, those are the five remaining stories, and these ones ended up being my favorite. And it's going to be one that was in your least favorite thing: the precedent. <laughs> I really, really liked the whole. You know, glad that Robin was a focal point, at least for one of these stories, because he's such an important part of Batman's history and Detective Comics history. And I did like how. James, you know, I, I wanted to say Tinian, but I remember hearing on <laughs> when he was a guest on Everybody Loves the Drake podcast, it was James Tynan or Tynan. <laughs> the words. I got to remember to say his name right. So James Tynan's story. I just liked how it was Bruce contemplating about, you know, is this the right thing to do to bring Dick into his war on crime? And I just love how Alfred is telling him all the pros and good Batman can do for Dick by having to be Robin. And as he's saying that, you're seeing the good that does come from it as Robin, him working with uh, different members of the Titans. And as he grows as, as a character and just everything he faces, you see him as Robin, you see him as Nightwing. And just as I love how that goes with what Alfred is describing of what Dick Grayson can have and what type of life he can have. That's better than what Bruce had. And at the same time, uh, be good for Bruce in this point of his life as well. So I just love how Alfred is again, the voice of reason and seeing uh, what good this can do for both Dick and Bruce. And Bruce kind of realizing that. But I love how Dick is listening in on the whole thing. He was hiding on the chandeliers and he just flops right down and saying, you know, he's ready to go. And how he is, and because Bruce is concerned about this setting a precedent of, you know, other, because he even mentions it to Alfred how, you know, Dick won't be the only ones. There'll be other kids who suffer something similar or goes through the same thing that we have to do something about. So he knows this isn't a one-time thing, which he's kind of having, which making him weigh this option out to see if he really wants to go through with it. So I just love that whole aspect of it. And then how it ends when Bruce officially agrees to have Dick join him. And we get that awesome splash page. If you see Batman and Robin on the top, 
But then it's that classic image that I just always love seeing of Batman swearing in Dick to, you know, become Robin and uphold what Bruce is ideals and everything he's going to be going and doing as, uh, you know, as a crime fighter and trying to save Gotham. So I just love that story of how it began with Bruce contemplating it until it ends to that classic moment of Bruce swearing in Dick Grayson, which is such a classic moment. So um, I did like this issue a lot. So, so sorry you didn't, Dane, but that ended up being in my top five. And number four is another one that wasn't high on your list, Dane. This is going to be Return to Crime Alley. And I know, I understand exactly what you were saying about the dialogue, but I just love the story and the message that Denny O'Neill was going for. And maybe I'm just a sucker for stories like this that involve Bruce and Leslie Tompkins remembering what happened the night his parents died. You know how much I love the Batman, the animated series episode and appointment in crime alley. That is my second favorite episode of the series. And this is kind of acting like a semi sequel to that, so to speak in a way, because um, it is called return to crime alley. And Denny O'Neill did write that original comic storyline, but that episode was based on. So I just liked how Leslie Tompkins, you know, doesn't want this for Bruce. And yeah, she's always there for him. She does act as a mother figure for Batman, but she doesn't want to see Bruce spend his life like this. And, you know, she even calls him like, what you do is cruel. And like, I hate seeing you that way. This is, you know, your parents. And one moment I like is where Bruce is saying, you know, talking about the night of his parents' death, death. And she goes, no, it's not a death. They were murdered. And, you know, that's, <laughs> something else got murdered that night too. And describing to, you know, Bruce losing his childhood and his humanity in this sort of way. And then they get, as they're having this discussion, these you know, crooks and masks go up to to rob them. And, you know, they don't know who they're up against with Batman. And Leslie tries to stop him, but Batman just goes straight on, you know, saying, like, how dare you point a gun at me? That See, that might be something that sounds a little outdated, but that screams classic Denny O'Neill to me from some of those early 70s Batman stories that I read growing up. Not saying I was born in the 70s, but in the mid-80s growing up, reading some of those older comics. So that type of dialogue is what he got in certain Batman stories. So it's kind of fun to see to see that again in the comic. But as Bruce is taking them all down, Leslie just screams like, Bruce, no. And I just love how it ends where she's going up to one of the crooks that Bruce beat up. And she goes, poor thing. And Batman just like is shocked by that. He goes, you feel sorry for him? And she goes, no, not for him, for you. This, even though... She, She's disagreeing with Bruce here. You just see the love she has for him as a son, just feeling so sorry for him. And she calls it poor thing as a mother would to the child who's hurting. And that's exactly how she sees Batman here. So I just love the story and message that Denny O'Neill was trying to send here. And then my number third favorite, as we're in my top three here, is going to be the very first story in the Detective Comics 1000. And you probably couldn't ask for a better story to kick off uh, this a monumental issue for a title called detective comics because this one is called batman's greatest case or oh i'm sorry i've jumped ahead batman's longest case uh by scott snyder and greg capullo and it's batman very early on his career even calls it his first case but he doesn't solve it until way later he just goes on this scavenger hunt that takes years for him uh, finding different clues leading him to different locations to where eventually he leads him to the final location where he is greeted by a bunch of classic DC characters like Martian Manhunter, Hawkman and Hawkgirl, The Question, Detective Chimp. And they're a group called uh, the Guild of Detectives. Um, and they're there 
for only the greatest detectives can be part of this group and they have to make their way by you know solving these different clues and cases that batman finally did after all these years and it's pretty much their work here in this guild is to solve the universe's great unsolved cases and mysteries that are still going on there's tons of books here and bruce is now one of them amongst the greatest detectives and as they reveal to him it's like just because it took you this long uh, to get here, you'll see that, you know, this is just the very beginning <laughs> as your career as a detective. So I just like that was a great kickoff point for um, the first story should be about detective work. And as Bruce being one of the world's greatest detectives for Detective Comics 1000. So I thought that was a great way to kick it off. And then my second favorite is going to be Batman's Greatest Case by Tom King with art by Tony Daniel and uh, Joel Jones, where it's pretty much you see every member of the Bat family on the rooftop arguing with each other wondering why they're here bruce called us here each of them are having these different conversations of what it could be jason thinks he's being kicked out (laughs) and there's all these funny interactions and moments that all these members of the bat family are having which we don't see them all together too much i mean everyone's here batwoman red hood batgirl nightwing robin catwoman duke uh, Tim Drake, as I uh, can't remember if he's Red Robin or just Robin again, but he's in his classic costume still, which is important. Spoiler, Orphan, Huntress, they're all here. And then they're waiting for Batman to come. And Batman does arrive. And, and the, I like how the story is cutting between all members of the Bat family talking, showing them on the rooftop, but then also Bruce going to his parents' grave in the cemetery, but we don't know why. So when Batman finally arrives on the rooftop, um, we see him put a bat- battering on the, one of the towers and there's a light on there and then we realize later when batman says the word cheese they're all together to take this one big family photo and then bruce ends up le- leaving that at his parents grave and kind of and then they start describing it as this is batman's greatest case finding you know his family that once he lost his first one he has this new one here and in the end it is batman's greatest case that he found his truth so just again another story that encompasses what i love about batman and his group of family and the characters that is involved um, with his universe here so just a great way to celebrate that all the different uh, members of the bat family that have come and gone throughout the years and there's i think no better way to celebrate that and show importance to it than bruce taking a picture of it and leaving it at his parents grave so great stuff there and then finally my number one favorite story in detective comics it's 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 funny um our, our our lists are pretty much exactly the same, almost exactly the same. <laughs> so is our number one going to be the same? Yeah. All yeah, right. There it is. Manufacture for Use by Kevin Smith and <laughs> Art by Jim Lee. Man, I love this story. Yeah. That's what makes this issue so great that almost every story touches on something that I love so much about Batman as a character and his mythos. And none's more important to me, I find, to the character that I love reading about so much is the motivation that Batman has doing what he does because of his parents' murder. And this one really focuses in on that in a very cool and unique way as it starts off with Batman fighting the Joker and his uh, shield emblem on his chest gets burned by Joker acid. Then we cut to Matches and Malone going into this you know secret shop that has all these different... Uh, items weapons costumes this guy has collected from the battles batman had with various members of his rogue gallery like penguin umbrella freezes gun kite man's kite all this different stuff mad hatter's hat a joker or harley's mallets all this great stuff 
but matches is there for a specific item, a weapon, a specific weapon that is the gun that killed Thomas and Martha Wayne. Of course, he's not making it known to the seller why he really wants this, but he asks for the history of it, and the guy does confirm this is the weapon that killed uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne. And he even talks about I mean, like what a tragedy it was and what it must have done to that to Bruce and how it must have broken him. But we see him asking for the price of it. He goes, it's a thousand and matches just goes, here's 1500. <laughs> like he just wants it right away. And then we get to the Batcave, which is where the best part of the issue comes where Alfred is questioning him. Like out of all the trophies you have in here, the penny, I didn't argue about. I love how he says <laughs> talking about the giant dinosaur, how uh, he kind of threw out his back a few times, cleaning that thing. <laughs> but he goes, even with all those things I could get behind, but I don't know why you'd want to have, the gun that killed your parents here as a trophy. And I mean, this isn't the first time I would see that because in Flashpoint, Thomas Wayne had the gun that killed Bruce there. I kind of thought, you know, um, and also too, the Telltale games had that where Bruce held on to the gun, I believe. And I remember those two instances thinking, you know, that's something that we don't see too often with Bruce having as a memorabilia or as something to remember by the actual gun. And it makes sense for I can understand why he would want that. But at the same time, what Kevin Smith does here in the story just works so much better where he decides to use that horrible event in his life and the weapon that caused that to turn it into something positive. And I love the dialogue that Kevin Smith wrote for Batman here where he says, you know, um, uh, he says, I grew up broken and said, after this hunk of metal took everything from me and who knows how many other lives it ruined or ended. But after tonight, it's no, never going to hurt anyone again. I'm going to make that metal pay for its sins. I'm going to burn the metal that killed my parents and forge it into something useful. So the metal that broke my heart as a child, that same metal will protect my heart as a man. And that is justice, which we see Bruce forge that you know broken metal that he took from the gun and made it his new emblem shield for his Bat- Batman costume. And I love that, especially the dialogue that Kevin Smith wrote. The same metal... Uh, that took that broke my heart will protect it as a man and that's justice it's just so poetic so good so batman <laughs> again hearkening to what drives him and motivates him to be batman the loss of his parents so everything about this story was so dead on the writing the artwork by jim lee i loved it so definitely the highlight of detective comics 1000 that had plenty of good and satisfying stories to celebrate batman in this landmark issue but that was the cream of the crop in my opinion yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you, um, except just swap out um, the, the Denny O'Neill story with <laughs> um, <laughs> with the um, Paul Dini story. I really like that with the bad thug uh, uh, and how like it, it, it was just a bad family the whole time, just doing some undercover work. Um, but yeah, uh, the the Kevin Smith one is definitely my number one. Uh, number two is probably the uh, um, the Tom King one. Mm. Um, definitely, both stories have in common. It, uh, or what the b- both the stories have in common is they're overly sentimental. Yeah, uh, but I, but in this case, it works. And totally, especially with the Kevin Smith one. Um, and and the great art by Jim Lee. Um, um, and it's great to see Dustin to win on a book, uh, a bad book again. I, I really like that. Um, but yeah, uh, my number one is definitely the Kevin Smith one. J- just how he uses, he melts down the gun. 
to protect his heart. I I, I just thought that that was like <laughs> uh, the, the the one of the best connections I've ever seen in a, or I I've seen in a long time between the, the you know the the his parent uh, Bruce's parents murders and who he is today. I just mm-hmm. thought that that was great. Um, so yeah. Definitely agree with you. Just swap out one or two with different uh, other stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I, mean, I like how you brought up. You know, a lot of it was sentimental, and you gotta have that for these milestone issues, I right? Mean, right. Especially yeah. when you hit a thousand. I mean, come on, <laughs> that's something. Yeah. I mean, that's only happened once so far with Action Comics, and that was pretty similar to this. It's a celebration of what you loved about Superman, and but with Batman, there's quite a few more characters you can do that with. And with, like we said, all the different members of the Bat family that Tom King did in his story that brought some sentimentality to it, but especially in Kevin Smith. So, yeah, at the end of the day, I think Detective Comics was a huge success. Great celebration of Batman in his 80 years, his mythos, his characters, just so much to love about the character and why he continues to endure and will for 80 more years and another thousand issues of Detective Comics. So, yeah, it was just cool to be here to see this milestone for batman and detective comics like like i said there's no bigger comics than detective in action and to have both of them hit that huge milestone is awesome so yeah for a rating since it wasn't quite perfect there was a few issues or a few stories that i didn't really you know care for being the batman's design and heretic and medieval, I didn't really touch on because, you know, it is the final story of the issue and it is setting up the potential new arc that Peter Tomas is going to do with the Arkham Knight. Um, I'd be curious to see who it is, but I don't know, not overly anxious to find out. I'm going to get more Detective Comics issues, obviously, but it's not something I'm chomping at the bit to find out who can be the new Arkham Knight because it is something uh, it's like that's not like something we haven't seen before with Batman as far as someone who thinks he can do what Batman does better. So, but Peter Tomasi writes great Batman stories. His last arc in detective comic was great. So I'm sure this one will be good too, but it wasn't um, quite a standout. It's Peter F. Tomasi. Oh, I'm sorry. That's right. Yeah. That is <laughs> that is the official, you know, signature now. <laughs> that yeah. he does for his <laughs> so overall, I'm going to give it a four out of five years. We got to wait for the next season of true detective. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Four out of five time or year years that we have to wait for uh, the new season of true detective uh it's gonna be a while to, to <laughs> until we see that but yeah uh, but like yeah. detective comics 1000 it was a while to get to that but it was yeah. worth it <laughs> it was worth yeah definitely um so yeah i guess that's the end of our show um or end of this episode um, just go over to batmanuniverse.net, facebook.com slash batmanuniverse, uh, and the Twitter handles at batmanuniverse. And you can follow uh, Tim on Twitter. Tim's Twitter handles at timg311. Uh, you know what? Timg311. Oh, thank since, you, What's the occasion? Since we're on uh, <laughs> Detective Comics number 1000. Okay. And my Twitter handles at deansofbanana, rating reviews on iTunes, and you can email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. Oh, and you can follow the show at uh, on Twitter at FN's Podcast. So with that, like we say at the end of every single episode today, we love each and every one of you with all of our bat and detective hearts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see you guys next time. 
See you next time, everybody. Yeah.